Are you ready to boss up and start that business? You're listening to Be A Boss Coaching Podcast. My name is Beatriz Rivera, and this show is my empowerment tool and community builder. My mission is to help queer and walk, that's queer and women of color, start their businesses with accountability, clarity, and most of all, confidence. On this podcast, I go over the question, can entrepreneurship help us reach our potential? I talk about my hardships, my wins, and you'll even hear how other queer and women of color have navigated and come to own their entrepreneur identity. I'm a social worker turned entrepreneur coach, and as such, of course, I'm going to give you tips, inspiration, and maybe even some laughs to help you not just start, but transform into that boss. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Be A Boss Coaching Podcast. My name is Beatriz. I'm an entrepreneur coach for women of color, BIPOC, and queer entrepreneurs who want to walk along their journey like a boss. And I can't believe we're here. I just can't believe that we're here. Episode 7. This is bonkers. I can't believe that I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm podcasting, that, which is really amazing new experience to learn. It is a lot of work, and but it's work that I enjoy doing. I especially enjoy recording, and I enjoy re- doing the editing process. There's something about refining something to sound and feel engaging and good. I don't know if that makes sense. Any other podcasters out there feel the same way? If you do, please let me know. I do want to take a moment to just remind you that if you are someone that wants to figure out what it looks like to embrace your entrepreneur mindset, I have two free guides. So I have an entrepreneur mindset guide where you'll learn the five mindset principles that I I practice every day and that I go over with my clients for you to start embracing your entrepreneurship journey. It's things like playing. It's things like experimenting, practicing empathy, being able to experiment and explore and then reflect on your on your actions, on the things that you do, on your decisions. And so the, all of that is a practice. And I hope that if you're someone that is figuring out what does entrepreneurship look like for me in my everyday, this is a good start. And for anybody who is an introvert like myself, I definitely didn't think that I would be here creating a podcast and talking and taking out space and being in front of a listening audience, but I am. And I'm so grateful that I get to do this, that I have come to a point in my life where I am able to take up space in the way that I'm doing and also just be my own, be in this experience for myself and building this out for myself. But if you're an introvert and you're trying to figure out how to show up on social media for your business, how to take up space, I want you to download my guide on the introvert entrepreneur and what I did to jumpstart that journey for myself. If you're someone that is not sure how to do that, how do I, where do I begin? Then I hope that this guide will help you. So come on over. You can download them at my website at Be a Boss Coaching. 
com and they're free. Please tag me. Go to Instagram and tag me. Let me know that you downloaded them, screenshot them. Let me know how they've been helping you. Maybe you want more. And honestly, if you do, if there's more, let me know. I want to know what what's, what were the questions that came up for you as you were going through this guide and so that I can answer that for you. Okay, so I want to introduce our guest today. Her name is Stephanie Olano. She's an LMFT or Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. She is the owner of Todos Therapy, and she provides counseling and therapy for young adults struggling with anxiety and imposter syndrome in professional and academic settings. And she's also the founder of Awkward Money, her newest venture and coaching program and services where she provides coaching for folks who are struggling with financial trauma. So I hope you take so much away from this episode. I hope you enjoy the show. My guest today is Stephanie Olano. And Stephanie, take it away if you can introduce yourself. Yeah. So yeah, my name is Stephanie Olano. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist from the Bay Area, Latinx, born and raised in the Bay. And I have a private practice. It's all virtual. I only see clients online. My niche has always been teens and young adults, but I'm trying to make the transition to more include like young professionals, those in the tech industry, folks like us in the mental health field, because I feel like a lot of us are struggling with burnout and imposter syndrome. So I want to be the one to be like, hey, I'm here (laughs) for you. I know what that that world is like. But also what I'm really excited about is I'm going into coaching, especially for financial trauma and anxiety, because I know for a lot of us too, especially for Latinas, we don't know shit about money. <laughs> we don't know where to get that information and we don't have that confidence to approach money. We don't know who to ask the questions to. And for a lot of us, that that stems from our childhood. So I, again, I wanted to be the one to have the answer or at least have some resources on how to fix that problem. Or figure out the answer along the way, right? Yeah. Or even just figure out what questions we need to ask so we can find the right people. Because again, we just, we just, we're very new to this whole money thing and how do we survive this capitalism that we live yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I think I was just talking to my partner about this yesterday around saving money, financial literacy, and how there's no sort of curriculum or teaching on that, not even in high school. I never learned any of that in high school. So I'm glad that you're taking on that task on figuring out what does it look like to heal any money traumas. And But before we get into it, I'd love definitely love to talk more about that. But before we get into it, I'd like to rewind a little bit. Tell me about your personal story and what led you to embark on this path of entrepreneurship. So one thing about me is most of my family members are in real estate. So they came here in the 80s, didn't know English, but my mom had the foresight to know real estate is what will make me successful. Real estate will help me pay the bills. And then both of my sisters became real estate agents, then my cousin. And like, it was a family thing to just go when you turn 18, you go to community college and get your real estate license. I was the black sheep of that. I didn't want to do real estate. I just didn't have a passion for it. But the one thing I did observe was a lot of my relatives work from home. Like real estate was a side hustle and they could 
build a business on their own doing that. And one of my sisters did do that with her husband. They had a real estate firm. It was really successful. But I saw firsthand, oh, wait, you can work from home. You can go to the office when you really need to, but you're out with your clients trying to find this home. So work didn't involve just 40 hour work week working in a cubicle Mm -hmm. to Mm me. And I just appreciate that education because I got to see early on, oh, wait, work can look very different for a lot of people. Right. Yes. I'm wondering, because you mentioned you were like the black sheep of that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm wondering where you were in your journey, or I guess in your what stage of your life where you realized, like, I want to do something of that nature, but differently. I don't want to go into real estate. How did you know that wasn't for you? And how did you find what was for you? It took some time. Mm-hmm. It took some time. Basically, I knew growing up, that real estate is awesome. I gained a a lot of knowledge doing that because I used to work part-time with my sister. Like I I was like their quote-unquote receptionist. Mm -hmm. And I got to see firsthand what what could go into that kind of occupation. I didn't like the paperwork. I didn't like the conversations. I just, there just wasn't enough passion for me to be like, okay, this requires my focus and this is how much I need to put this, my all my energy into. It just wasn't happening for me. What what did happen was I graduated college and that was right in the middle of the 2008 recession. I graduated 2010 and not a lot of people were hiring, especially finding a full-time job. It just wasn't happening. So my sister sat me down. Again, my sister has always been like my career coach <laughs> in some way. And she sat me down and was like, Steph, like you're really passionate about mental health. You read Freud for fun. You always have really great advice for your friends. You're a really great listener. Why don't you try therapy and see what that career has for you? So that summer, I picked myself up because, again, I wasn't employed. I wasn't finding those that promise of once you graduate, all these opportunities will open up to you. It didn't right. happen. And so I, I felt bad. I felt like I didn't work hard enough. I, all these negative thoughts were happening for me at that mm-hmm. time. But finding my place in mental health was the mm-hmm. thing. And I noticed, wait, I not only do I have an easier time learning about this, I could actually really see myself having this career for a long time. And But I took it day by day. I thought initially, I'll just take these side courses, see how far I get. And that's still the mentality I have. I'm still trying to figure out like how far can I take Mm -hmm. this and so far that I haven't hit too many walls yeah Yeah, big sisters man I'm a big sister so (laughs) they're like the I always say they're like the family managers (laughs) they (laughs) and they and we appreciate the managers (laughs) because they at the end of the day they're just looking out yeah yeah I know I'm a big sister I have a younger sister too also always try to counsel and advise her and it's so nice to have that type of relationship with your family and your older siblings. You had mentioned during that time, not a lot of people were hiring. Was it something where you kind of just try to figure out the resources or the path where to go next? Yeah, I think it was she gave me the initial push, like initial, here's a path, see what you can do with that. But it was always me and my intuition that led me down these paths. Like I, she didn't tell me to go after my MFT license. She didn't tell me what grad school to go to. She just planted the seed and I just ran with it, so to speak. But since then, 
yeah, what I did, building my private practice, the way my branding, any anything that came after that initial conversation has been me. I can definitely go to her for to collaborate and get some more ideas, but all the stuff that came after that was more like I just did the research. I plug and play, see, I saw like what options were out there and just went with, okay, this feels right. And just went after yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think you also had mentioned earlier a little bit about your energy and your intuition. I think for me, it's always been a challenge to tap into that energy or tap into that intuition mm -hmm. as to what it is that really motivates me and keeps me going. But it's something that I think entrepreneurship has helped I guess gauge or tune a little bit more I think because as I embark on this entrepreneurship journey and continue to move along this process I can see what I resist and what I actually enjoy doing before I even started when I was working nine to five I started off doing case managing and then I went off to grad school and I realized because I had done case managing prior to grad school <laughs> I knew that I didn't want to do therapy or that at least I didn't want to do the therapy path even though there was a part of me that felt like I I could do something that's like therapy but doesn't necessarily have to mean that I need to go into a traditional path like I was trying to figure out what that looked like I, I think I'm still trying to figure out to be honest with you but yeah. I think energy and intuition those are things that you only figure out how to tap into once you really start moving towards something instead of moving away from something if that makes sense yeah, yeah. and it took me some time to listen to that it because again it's not something that's really praised or really talked about when you go to grad right. school or any kind of schooling in fact it's stifled mm -hmm. out like you always got to make them more logical more reasonable or practical decisions right. when it comes to your exactly. career but for people like us especially when you're coming from a collectivist society intuition is part of mm -hmm. that like how many of us have theas who are like no i talked to jesus today he told me like what to do <laughs> or i i had this bad feeling and i needed to call you kind of thing mm -hmm. like that is something i've always appreciated in my family and anyone telling me no you got to listen to your logical side i'm like wait i but i have this other side of me that's also speaking to me. And I, I can't stay true to myself if I just ignore mm -hmm. that all the time. Yeah, I'm fig figuring out like who to listen to or what part of you is speaking. It's hard. It's a gift. But we got to hone in that skill. We got to figure that out because generally, especially when both the logical and the intuition have a say, we got to figure out what what's happening yeah. there. I think that the challenge too, I think a lot of the rhetoric within entrepreneurship is there's always this leaning towards the logical, right? The data driven, mm -hmm. taking the emotion and all of that away from it. And at least that's what I found early on in my entrepreneurship journey is like there was a lot of rhetoric around not bringing in your emotional self in this mm -hmm. process. And yeah. how did you get to this place where you knew that's okay or where you felt like that was fine? And especially within this entrepreneurship journey and this whole process of you mm -hmm. starting your own business. So the big wake up call, I think for a lot of us was the pandemic. Yes. Before that, I, I was a good worker. Like I worked nonprofit for many years and I was always the one that could fix the problem. 
I was really good at my job. I wrote so many HR handbooks. I wrote like so many interns were coming to me. I was like the unofficial supervisor Mm -hmm. and some job titles, but I wasn't getting unofficial supervisor. That happens a lot. (laughs) Very unofficial, very unofficial. But when the pandemic hit, I had to reflect and be like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because like health wise, I'm not okay. I was not paying attention to what my body needed. I had so much, so many back pain issues. I had migraines. I was not eating okay. I was not exercising. I wasn't taking care of me. And then all of that was impacting my mental health. I struggled with a lot of anxiety. I already had issues around germs and the pandemic just escalated things. And then I had to really look at what am I working hard for in my career? Because at that point, I think some entity in some ways like looking out for me because I got licensed the month before the first lockdown. Mm, Yeah. And I had told myself that once I get licensed, I need to start getting serious about leaving nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Like I need to start building this new path for me because being a nonprofit and climbing that particular ladder just wasn't Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. So that's when I looked into private practice. And I'm like, wait, like with my license, I can do this. Like I I can actually like looking up the checklist. It wasn't that bad. But because, again, we're not shown, wait, you can actually build a business with your license and you can actually set your own hours and have your business be your own. That that because it wasn't explained to us, it looks so intimidating and looks so like over my head. Yes. Yeah, Mm. I totally agree. I think you had mentioned that within your graduate education, when we are in these courses or taking our graduate program, I I remember that was the expectation, right? Like the expectation was like, oh, private practice, that's the traditional paths that they were going to take. But before we had connected, you had mentioned that this process of embracing your identity as an entrepreneur, it contradicts what we're told as therapists. Yes. We're not in it for the money and to basically not think about financial independence. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So I, I've been talking a lot about therapists need to make a livable wage, like end quote, that's it. But I get a lot of, I get a lot of pushback with that statement because The number one remark I get is, but you're doing this for the community. Mm. You're supposed to sacrifice and not put yourself first. Those are the remarks I get. And that leaves a bitter taste in my mouth because why can't we have Mm. both? Why can't I help the community but also pay my bills? Mm -hmm. Why aren't we allowed to take care of ourselves? Because, again, I'm not trying to get like Bezos money. Mm. I'm not trying to be like by Twitter just because I can. Like, that's not the money I'm talking about. I'm just more or less wanting to be present with my client and know I can pay the bill for the video conferencing platform that we have to use or know if for some reason their insurance can't cover it. Because unfortunately, insurance panels don't want to pay therapists, you know, what they're worth. We can at least have a conversation about I can take care of you because both of us can afford it. I think it, it goes to show just how much the field of mental health is often overlooked and never taken ser- not never, but most often not taken seriously when it comes to helping others and being in the helping profession, being in a profession of service 
And I think, honestly, that is one of the reasons where I was like, you know what, this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to support people, to help them navigate through emotional and mental health mazes. And that's very important work. And yet it's still not seen as work that's important enough to be paid enough. And I'm glad that you're taking on that stance of supporting others, emotional wellness, and helping people through navigating those journeys. Why can't we have both? Why can't we get paid? And you're right. Like, I I think that the reason for me, at least when I thought about therapy, taking on that career, it just felt like, can I do this? Because it's not manual labor, but you're doing emotional labor. And it's a lot of guesswork and it's a lot of, because again, no one's with you in the room, at least in my training, no one's sitting there. Okay, now do this step. Now do this next step. It's a lot of, I had to figure it out on my own. Yes. And I took that mentality with this, any, any option I had starting my private practice, now going into this coaching services that I, I applied for an LLC. I had no idea how to do that. They don't teach you that. Yeah. We live in. They don't. They should. It's very like it, it was kind of easy, nerve wracking because I was again, I, I was very anxious and hoping I didn't feel anything wrong. Like I, I was just so overwhelmed by that. What if I shoot myself mm-hmm. in the foot kind of thing? Mm-hmm. But with all the things that I did read and follow directions, it was pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine yeah. if we had that, but take away the fear take away that anxiety. I think a lot of us, a lot more Latinas or a lot of us from our backgrounds would have no problem starting a business or wanting to be an entrepreneur. But again, but we could, we come from the mental health field. It's all about, but you have to give up everything for the community. Even though we're advising everyone to put themselves first, we can't do that for some reason. Exactly. <laughs> like why, Like we have to practice what we preach, right? We have to figure out ways to also put ourselves first. And we can still create impact within the community for the people that we serve. I want to know more about your money and healing money trauma venture. You had mentioned that it was a fairly newish venture that you're gonna that you're going into. What got you interested in teaching financial literacy and what does it mean? to heal money trauma so because i during the pandemic i was seeing a lot more young adults like those who were going to college or maybe those who were getting their first like grown-up job i was noticing a lot of conversations around money oh i don't know how to budget or i don't know how to talk to certain folks about money or how to ask for a raise all these conversations were happening around money and a lot of it was no one sat down with me and taught me like how to do this or what even think about money in this way. Mm. And I started doing more research and especially in the Latinx community or Latina community, we were left out of the conversation when it came to things like capitalism or anything to do with finances. That system wasn't meant for us. Building generational wealth or having confidence with your money, no one really thought to bring us into that, that, that mindset. So I noticed there there was a thing happening in the pandemic as well, which is, yes, I am making a lot of money, but there's some trauma wounds that I have from the past. 
Maybe I observed my parents fighting about money a lot. Maybe we had things like food insecurity, or I wasn't really sure if payday was going to be a good day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For a lot of us, especially from our family backgrounds, maybe we, our relatives had jobs where there wasn't like a set pay. One week, it's really great. Like we were able to pay our bills and have a little extra. Next week, it's like half or we're just barely surviving. So again, it was looking at that and looking at my history as like a trauma-informed therapist that I'm like, wait, there's a link here. Mm -hmm. And that was around the same time the terms uh, financial trauma was first starting. And I'm like, wait, there's a word for it. Let me see what research is out there. Let me, there isn't a lot. Right. <laughs> there is not a lot of not a lot of information and including black and brown folks, not a thing at all. Mm. A lot of the research unfortunately involves very upper middle class or very affluent families. And I knew like that had to change really quickly. Yeah. Again, I did what we all do. We do research. We educate ourselves. We got to figure out like what resources are out there for my clients. And then I noticed, wait, because there isn't a lot out there, I can become a resource. Mm -hmm. I can be a person that can have this knowledge and really pass it on yeah to the next person you know so when it came to figuring out like what i wanted to do it just started out as well let me see what's out there figure out like how it works for this initial client and then it just evolved from there wait i can build a course i can have workshops i can have a master class i can have a full-on coaching business around this because sometimes not everyone wants to go work on that financial trauma like in a weekly setting, they want to do like a one month program or maybe six month kind of thing. And that's when I started formulating this whole like business around one, come as you are. You don't have to know everything about money or be that confident. Mm -hmm. Let's really accept like what's really happening here. But the next step could be, let me provide my knowledge and what I think could benefit you. But we can also work as a team and coaching seemed to be the best fit for that. And that business is called Awkward Money, LLC. Because again, the one thing people know about me is I am, I'm awkward, I'm weird, I'm socially inept sometimes, but I own mm -hmm. it. If you want to have this confidence in yourself, accept yourself mm -hmm. as you are. And for me, that was being very awkward and weird <laughs> and very nerdy. Yeah. No, I absolutely love that because I think that in entrepreneurship, I, there's this view that extrovert and very charismatic people are people who mm -hmm. are the face of entrepreneurship, right? Who are the face of social, what do they say? Serial entrepreneurs. It's usually these yes. extrovert, charismatic, go for it. I don't care what happens type of people. And no, I consider myself an introvert. I'm also really nerdy. I love books and there's so many different layers that I didn't see myself in or I didn't see being represented within entrepreneurship, which is nerdy, awkward, like introvert entrepreneur. But no, there's people who are doing this. I'm glad that you're in this space as well. When it came to money trauma, I definitely am in the same boat as well. I think during the pandemic, I was lucky enough to keep my job as a social worker for a huge hospital in New York. And that was very lucky that I was in that role in that position. And because I was in that role during that time, I think folks who 
had the privilege to keep their jobs. They were saving money. No one was going out. No one was Mm -hmm. spending anything. People were saving a lot of money. And I remember looking at my debt, my graduate school debt, and I was like, okay, I need to pay this down. I have the opportunity now. And obviously during that time, they had paused the payments for student Mm -hmm. loans and they had brought down the interest rate down to zero. And I was also learning a lot about investing, credit card debt, good debt, bad debt. And then I think because I was learning so, so much about finances and then this whole other topic around trauma as a mental health also person who's also within the mental health field, that's very intriguing, right? Like how do you, there's like this connection between the way that you see and manage financials and your past money experiences. And so I remember during that time, I was like really into that. I was learning so much. I opened an investment account. I opened a brokerage account. I started looking at my, yeah. And so I totally relate when you're saying there, uh, you were seeing a lot of people looking into money, which I'm mm. definitely, I was one of them. But I think I had like reached this threshold where I was like, I learned everything. It's not enough. I'm going to build a business. <laughs> and I think that's the main reason why I wanted to do that. But the part around financial trauma, I think that work, it's so much deeper I'm wondering, how do you see or know, like when people are ready to do that work, like when do you know that's needed for someone in order to reach other levels of success? Yeah, I think it's like with any form of trauma or struggling with anxiety, Mm -hmm. the person is aware that their habits or the decisions that they've been making, they don't want to fall into that same trap again. Like maybe that particular habit led to a consequence just wasn't good for them. It wasn't the healthiest. It wasn't the best. And if they're letting trauma drive the car, trauma is going to do what Mm. it does best. It's going to make short-term decisions. It's just trying to help you survive. Yeah. Because it understands you're under distress. It understands that you're going through something. So it, it will find a solution for you. Yeah. The clients I work with, they are aware I want to, I want to be the person driving the car. I want all of me to take control of what's really happening here and actually make a very informed decision and trauma can have its say mm-hmm. because again trauma has been there it's kept you alive it's done its job it got you to the next day but it doesn't have to take over each and every day mm-hmm. yeah and my clients are aware on some level like that change needs to happen yeah and talking about success it's different there's going to be peaks and valleys peaks and valleys like you're going to have a really good day Hopefully you're there for a really long time. But when you do, when you are in the valley or kind of you are feeling low, you're not in that low place for a long time. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you are able to end it a little bit longer. You get, you have that window of tolerance and it's, you're able to stay there in the midpoint just a little bit longer and you feel more confident doing that. For sure. Definitely. There was a quote or the, there was a definition that I heard and this wasn't actually that long ago. I think it was about, was it maybe a year ago where I heard this definition of trauma and it really resonated with me. It basically was trauma is something that should have happened that didn't or that should have not happened, but did. 
for someone yes. that maybe experienced starvation, but they should have been fed, right? That's trauma. Or who experienced any sort of abuse that shouldn't have happened, but that's trauma. Mm-hmm. And and I really resonated with that because it was just such a simple, very easy way to grasp when you're when you know that there's something in the past it still impacts the way that you operate now yeah and having that awareness Uh, is key because again with trauma or anything that happens to us especially that stuff that started in childhood that stuff is automatic Yeah. yeah we live our lives practically like chronically daydreaming or dissociating or just not connecting Mm -hmm. with it within our own bodies and or with our own minds like mind-body connection like that stuff is real but when we are operating where those two are just separate and they make decisions on their own it's hard to have that awareness and really make those decisions that we have to be making yeah yeah I can tell that you're a good therapist (laughs) thank you I will in the show notes of course put all of your therapy services and links, but I can definitely tell it's hard to find the right person that you connect to. What sort of communities or role models, if any at all, did you connect to that were helpful in your journey as a new entrepreneur? Because as you said, I think therapy is so different from actually putting on the hat of a business owner. I guess that's a two-part question. How do you manage both your role as a therapist and your role as a business owner? And Mm -hmm. what sort of guidance or support or mentorship did you receive? Yeah. So as for finding the community, that took me a long time. Because for the longest time, I believed I could just figure it out on my Mm -hmm. own. I really did believe if I was a hard worker, if I was a good worker, I would come up with the answer for myself. But I reflected. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So I wanted to tell me more about this. I can figure it out on my own because I was in the same boat. I was like, and it took me also a very long time to realize that I can tap into a community. But even when I did realize that was still a challenge, can you say more about where this feeling came from? I think it was during like the last, my last two jobs, it was, I really did have to be the only one figuring Mm -hmm. it out because unfortunately I couldn't really rely on my supervisors or anyone else, any of my fellow colleagues because I just didn't have that kind of mentor or that kind of like teammate I can I can rely on. So there was this mentality of stuff like kind of depending on you, you figure it out. Mm-hmm. So just out of sheer the way that the system was built, it was just I, I had to learn on my own. I remember having a community based job and I spent a lot of time by myself. Mm-hmm. So I was very grateful that we did have group supervision, but that was like one time a week. And I was, that was a 40 hour job. So one hour or one and a half hours a week was not enough right. and to have the idea that I'm in a community, like I can, I have a team. Yeah. So I, and I think that's one thing grad school never really prepared me for. Yes, you will have fellow colleagues and you will be in the trenches with people, but practically you're not always going to have that. Yeah. You do have to, when you're in the therapy room, you are on your own. When you're driving to your client's house, you're by yourself. So I knew going into my private practice, 
I didn't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that was the other reason I just wasn't doing okay. I was by myself. And the pandemic was making so many other people isolated and disconnected that they were doing some bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Alcoholism was definitely on the rise and drug use was definitely a thing because people just didn't have that face to face. So I decided, okay, since I can't meet people in person, being socially awkward, like that was definitely something I've always struggled Mm -hmm. with. But meeting people online, what I did with you, I was used to that. Like that is something I've done since I was in middle Mm -hmm. school. I know my folks told me like, don't meet people on the internet. (laughs) This is the one instance where it's okay to meet people on the internet. I think in the pandemic, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only way of socializing. Mm-hmm. So I tried my best to build this network of folks. And even though I didn't meet them in person, I could we called each other once mm-hmm. a month. We figured out like what we needed to do together because all of us were starting a business. Yeah. But I knew I need to work on my stuff. Like my, there was some financial stuff that I was struggling with. I was definitely going through some imposter syndrome. I was definitely feeling like I should not have left my job the way it did because I left my nonprofit job that offered me benefits and it was a legit paycheck. You know, it wasn't a lot, but it was definitely getting me through. I left that job with just two private practice clients. Mm. I was so nervous because I'm like, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? Mm. Did I just burn a bridge when I didn't have to? But looking at what my colleagues who stayed and what they had to go through and the stuff that they're still going through, they're not being taken care of at that Mm. job. And I knew if I had stayed in that particular job, I would have left this field altogether. Mm, yeah. I would have said, F my master's, fuck this, I'm done. <laughs> like, I, I cannot deal with this. But I knew my passion and my love for this job was still there. It had nothing to do with my clients. It just had to do with my workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then being able to find the community along the way. Mm-hmm. I think that's the problem with being in the mental health field and then going into an organization most organizations will have support up to some level Mm -hmm. but I think when it comes to LMFTs and social workers in general like you are expected to manage your own caseload manage your own paperwork manage yourself essentially and then still meet the demands of the organization and I think when it comes to okay I've had enough I'm gonna try and figure this out on my own you realize that the whole time that you were doing it by yourself that doesn't work for you when you're doing it completely on your own you're literally like the only person Person in your organization or like your business and that doesn't work and I think that transition from being in an organization where for the most part I think there is some sort of structure or some type of yeah the best word that I can think of right now is structure that can keep you accountable like now you have to build that structure for yourself in yeah your private practice and it was hard It was difficult in the beginning because what I couldn't get over was to get the help that I needed, I needed to invest in myself. So I needed to pay someone, okay, what is my biggest struggle right now? I'm not willing to ask for help. Mm. That's really Mm. what it was. And what do I tell my clients when I hear that that same thing? What is the deal? (laughs) Like, why is it so hard? I And for me, it was in the past when I did ask for help, I didn't get the help that I needed or just wasn't enough. Like I felt like a burden when I did ask for help, when it was 
it could have just been easier just for me to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always that case, right? Like I feel like you always have that thought. It's easier if I just did it myself. Yeah. Again, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Like whatever. But I got to a place where the emotional labor and the mental labor got so high that I'm like, I need help and I need to pay for this help. So I got coaches. I got a business coach. That was a big deal for me because I was like, I wish I could just, again, do it on my own. Why do I need to spend this money? Doubting this was a good financial move. Every way you could like have doubt about this decision, I probably thought about it. And then I eventually was really proud of myself. So I'm like, wait, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it's a little too close for comfort because I was still building my private practice, but I was still able to pay this person. Mm-hmm. When it was on time and we didn't have to have conversations about sliding scale, but I knew I could have those conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, if something were to turn left, like I could sit down with this person and be like, hey, I'm not able to pay this credit card or this invoice mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. You know? And then that eventually led to, why don't I see if I could work even deeper on this and get a financial coach? And I found someone. And again, both of these coaches look like me. They sounded like me. Like they, I loved their branding because it was, I was seeing myself reflected back. And both of us were also building our businesses and we were very authentic and very open about, yeah, this process isn't easy, but together we can figure it out. And I really appreciated that message. Yeah. It comes back to what you said about being aware and having that awareness, which within the mental health field, it is something that we're taught to tap into. I think, especially when we're being in in community with clients, like we have to have that skill around when are we projecting? Are we reflecting where they're at and what they're saying to us? But I think sometimes it's just hard. I think when, especially when you're in this journey, you have a, the practitioner hat. That's the hat that we're used to. But then the business entrepreneur hat, I feel like sometimes we don't think that the skills that we have as practitioners don't apply to entrepreneurship. And then I realize, like, how can we apply this? Yeah, it, I'm still unpacking that myself because even the way I'm approaching social media, I'm scared mm-hmm. <laughs> like being a therapist on social media because there is no set guideline. I, we have our law and ethics to rely on, but none of that explicitly says this is how to show up on social media or this is how to market yourself. Mm-hmm. A lot of the questions that are asked in our test or whenever we do take the workshops, it's always like print marketing, like magazines, billboards. That's very clear. But social media is still very new and none of the laws are really updated. So I'm always worried, like, am I allowed to do this? Is this okay? Is this for anyone else who's viewing this? This is professional. Mm -hmm. I have gripes with that word, professional. Mm -hmm. Because as you can tell, like, I don't fit the mold of professional. I think the stereotype of a therapist early on is like someone who wears a blazer. (laughs) And I am not, I tried that. It's Mm -hmm. not me. Yeah. So for me, it was always like, there's no clear way of, the therapy side. So I try to be conservative as possible when it comes to that. When it comes to coaching, there's a little bit more out there on what coaches are allowed to do, especially with social media. And I love that. I love that I can show more of myself on that. And as much as I, it's more authentic for me to show up as a therapist, the fact that I'm, there isn't a lot out there. I'm figuring that out. But when it comes to coaching, I'm like, 
okay, more of me. I can definitely do that. I can definitely show more facets of myself and what I'm interested in. And I'm excited to really do that. And because Awkward Money is very new, I'm still figuring out like what I want that particular brand to look like. And so far, I'm very excited. I'm very like, no, you got to show more of yourself. I'm allowed to do this. And I'm giving myself permission to do that. Yeah. And you're not the only one. You're not the only one. Like a lot of people who are therapists, who are in the mental health field, who are in spirituality realm are trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what does it look like to show up in this space authentically. But then there's still that educational, professional type of layer that we're that is ingrained in us right because there's so much around ethics around confidentiality around how to represent the mental health field I think within social work and I'm sure within the field of marriage and family therapists because I see marriage and family therapy and then social work like related cousin fields and it's always for you presenting the field as professional as possible or how are we representing our community in, in this, this field? field? And it's so hard to figure out how can I be a therapist or a mental health professional, an MFT, mm-hmm. LMFT social worker in this field as authentically as possible and not try to cross any lines. It's just, it feels like a balancing act. <laughs> it is. And I'm still trying to figure out like how much I need to balance because I've come to the conclusion there is no such thing as balance Mm -hmm. all the Mm -hmm. time. There are some days you can have it. I'm half a therapist, maybe in the morning and I'm a coach at night or maybe Tuesday. I'm all therapist like that. That's just where my energy is at. And that's what I need to focus on. And maybe on the weekends I can work on the coaching Mm -hmm. stuff. But it's going to feel like it's you don't have it like it ain't working out. But from the grand scheme of things, like maybe if you look at more the month view or the six month view, you could see, wait, like the little work that I did or that day I had to take time off, it all worked mm-hmm. out. It balances it out in the end. Like it doesn't always in feel end. balanced in the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, And I think that's really what a lot of folks like us struggle with is like we have to do everything really mm-hmm. well. Like we have to show up 110% because mm-hmm. if we show up any less, they're not going to let us in the room next mm-hmm. time or they're going to think we're a bad worker. They're going to think this and that. Yeah. But we can't show up that way. Humanly possible. We can't yeah. do that. We can't work like that. So accepting like there are limits to what we can do and we are allowed to rest. Yeah. I value self-care a lot. That value for me has exponentially grown and also it's become higher on my list of values, I think primarily because I'm resisting or I've seen myself resisting this burnout person that I don't want to get to, especially as a business owner, an entrepreneur, as a coach. Like we're both coaching and trying to support and be there for folks and build a business and still try to maintain a level of sanity. (laughs) Uh, It's it's hard. hard. And it's because can I figure out a way to do this where I don't have to compromise my mental health? It, it mm-hmm. just doesn't, it doesn't make sense for me to do this 
and preach your well-being and your authenticity and everything that we stand for and then not live by those values. But then you still want to feel the growth and the success of your business. So, yeah, sometimes it won't be balanced. It doesn't feel balanced at all. How do you feel that this journey of entrepreneurship has molded you to the person that you are today? And what kind of growth have you seen in yourself as you have started your own coaching and private practice? I think for me, I spent so much time trying to fit in the mold of what a good worker was, what a good therapist was. Now I'm in the mindset of I need to make work work for Mm -hmm. me. Like my job needs to work for me now. If there are days I'm not feeling well or I'm not okay, I can't show up like that to my client. So maybe I will have to take a mental health day. Maybe I do have to only work two to three times a week. The biggest thing for me was I want to have Fridays off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Like, And people were like, wait, like you're eliminating a day that you could have clients and make your money. Like, how does that fit this whole like financial independence Mm -hmm. philosophy you're trying to instill? But at the end of the day, I need those Fridays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I need to have a catch up day where maybe I do notes or maybe I do laundry. You know, that was definitely the big shift in my understanding of what entrepreneurship can look mm-hmm. like. I don't have to fit anyone else's expectations. It can be mine and what I expect to be. And sometimes I need a day off. And then, yeah, <laughs> and that's OK. Being totally OK with that. I, I think I had talked about yeah. taking a three hour nap and not feeling ashamed about it right after. And yes. I was, I woke up from that nap totally refreshed, so ready to take on the rest of the day, even if it was already four o'clock. <laughs> and, yeah. and I was just not ashamed by that. I was like, wow, this is the best thing I could have done for myself now. Yeah. Oh. So as that energy, that intuition that we were talking about earlier, and I knew, yeah, I could definitely work 80 hours a week. I've done it mm-hmm. before. I'm not afraid of hard work and hustling when we, when I have to. But quality-wise, my work would suffer. And I didn't want my clients to be a consequence of that. I didn't want them to see Stephanie at 50% or less than 80%. That's not acceptable for me. So I had to come to terms with what do I expect of myself? Mm -hmm. And how do I understand, like, my needs and my needs at work? Yeah. And so that's like a that, that, that was a big takeaway. Yeah, that's a very deep understanding of your own self-care as well. Just what do I need in order mm-hmm. to be at a hundred percent? And how do I get there? Okay. Yeah. In a phrase or two, what would you say is the way in which you embrace your entrepreneur identity? I just own it. I just I am all about again, I'm I preach about being authentic and being honest with what you really need. Mm-hmm. And what I needed entrepreneurship to do was I needed to be flexible. I needed to move with me. I needed to be something that changes every once in a while because I will get Mm -hmm. bored very Mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. And if it's no longer challenging, if it's no longer educational, I'm not going to do it. I love that. I love when you said that I needed to flow with me, to work with me. Yeah. Awesome. I know that... We're coming close to the end of our interview. I want to take the time for you to share what sort of services and or products that you have. If you can share them here, I will share all your links and resources on the show notes. 
If you have any other particular resources you want to share, you can feel free to send them to me. But where can we find you? How can we get in touch with you? And what kind of support and services can you provide? Yeah. So again, my name is Stephanie Alano. I'm a licensed and managing family therapist. I have an online private practice called Todos Therapy. You can find me on Instagram at todostherapy.com. And for my coaching, especially for financial trauma or anxiety, you can find me at Auk Money, but that's spelled A-W-K mm-hmm. money. Okay, gotcha. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I had a blast learning more about you. I hope we can continue our conversation. I would like to talk to you more about the financial awkward money ventures. There's a lot more going on there. I know it's brand new, but I wish you all the best with that. I know that it's highly needed. There's a lot of people that need that sort of support, and I'm glad that you're doing it. Thank you so much to Stephanie for bringing herself to the show, bringing on her wisdom, her journey, and sharing her story. Here are the takeaways that I learned from my conversation with Stephanie. Is Number one, you don't have to do it all yourself. When we are especially transitioning from a nine-to-five type of setting or environment or lifestyle, and we decide to start a business... Sometimes if we've been in an environment where we've had to figure things out on our own by ourselves, then that same mindset can transition over to your new journey as an entrepreneur. And this is a reminder that you don't and you shouldn't. You really shouldn't be doing this all by yourself. Number two is there's no such thing as being balanced all the time. Now, I... I... I feel like there was a part of me that always felt like in order to feel homeostasis or being stable, that I needed to be balanced. Like I needed to balance things out in my life, both professionally, both personally. And I realized balance doesn't mean putting equal amount into your business, putting equal amount into your self-care. Sometimes you need more self-care than you need to be working on your business. Maybe sometimes you need to work more on your business than you need to work on your self-care. It's not always going to be balanced. So as much as you want to create balance for your life, it doesn't look equal parts all around. And then number three is we need to make entrepreneurship work for us. You can use your intuition and you can use your own self-awareness to guide how you want that to look. If something's not feeling right, if something's starting to look like you have to compromise your values, you have to compromise your health or your well-being, then that is not what I would want the definition of entrepreneurship to be. So those are my three takeaways. I'd like to know what your biggest takeaways were. So come back to a post on Instagram. Let us know what you thought. Give us comments. If you have any questions for myself or for Stephanie, please let us know. And don't forget to come on over to Spotify or Apple Podcast. And I would love, 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 love. I'd be so, so appreciative and grateful for your review and for your rating. So I hope that... You can support us in that way. 
I have a few interviews lined up, but I also have a few solo episodes I want to publish. Just be on the lookout. Every Monday we'll be here. And tell me what you think so far about the episodes that you have listened to. Which one's your favorite? Let me know. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your week and continue to be that boss. Bye.